Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. I'm your host, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I connect with PMMs all over the world about a product marketing topic of their choice. This week, I'm joined by Andrew McCotter Bicknell, Head of Competitive Intelligence at ClickUp. Andrew is a well-known and well-respected member of the competitive intelligence community. Before jumping headfirst into the world of competitive intelligence, Andrew was a product marketing manager at ZoomInfo. Now, at ClickUp, Andrew is working to carve out a place within the incredibly crowded project management software space. The self-proclaimed one app to replace them all, ClickUp puts all your work in one place, including tasks, docs, chat, goals, and more. Together, Andrew and I talk about his transition from product marketing into competitive intelligence, why he thinks it was a natural next step, and what he loves about enabling others with competitive intel. Before we get into the episode, I've got some exciting news to share from the Product Marketing Alliance. Are you wondering how to align the product marketing function at your organization? Do your internal teams have little or no understanding of what product marketing is and the benefits you bring to the fore? Are you sick of being misunderstood? Product Marketing Alliance's brand new book, Misunderstood, features firsthand knowledge, techniques, and case studies to help you demystify product marketing, elevate the function, and gain the recognition you and fellow PMMs deserve. Learn how to effectively communicate the value you bring to key processes such as positioning, personas, segmentation, OKRs, and gain supplementary intel from the likes of Privy, G2, Hotjar, Intercom, Zendesk, Adobe, and Drift. Misunderstood is packed with takeaways that will propel the value of your role and the overall importance of the PMM function and isn't to be missed. Get your copy at pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. That's pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. All right, with that out of the way, let's do it. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? Hey, what's up, Mark? Not much. I appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm super excited to chat with you. Yeah, same here. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting. Awesome. So before we get into the meaty questions I have for you today, I think it'd be great if you could run through your career so far and what it is you do at ClickUp as head of competitive intelligence. Sure. Yeah. So I started my career in sales. I was pretty much like the equivalent of like an SDR or a sales development representative um, for a really small company in a really small city in Michigan and wasn't really a fan of that. And so I tried to figure out a way uh, out, not just of sales, but also out of the small town in Michigan that I grew up in. And luckily, um, I was able to get a job in product marketing at a company called Discover Org. And Discover Org ended up acquiring a bunch of companies. ZoomInfo was one of them. And so I was kind of uh, along for the ride as the second product marketer in ZoomInfo's trajectory from becoming or from being, you know, a 500 employee company when I started to, you know, by the time I left, it was about 2,500 employees. I had IPO, had acquired a bunch of other companies. And so it was really, really fun time to be um, in that space for sure. And my role as a product marketer changed, ebbed and flowed throughout that process too. So, you know, when I first started out, uh, I was doing like everything from like that, that you would expect from a full stack product marketer. You know, I was doing some messaging, positioning, buyer personas, some win loss, and of course, competitive Intel. Um, as the company grew, I, I kind of hung on to competitive Intel throughout, you know, the, the three or four year period that I was there. And, um, it, it was just one of those things where I felt like, oh, I feel like this is like the thing that I can make a decent impact with. Like, I felt like the things like when I was putting out competitive insights, like it was resonating. And so I always wanted to kind of keep that close. 
And uh, I ended up owning the whole program towards like the end of my run, starting like the first formal program and not just like an ad hoc, like, oh, do like this, like little analysis or, you know, things like that. Um, and so really, really enjoyed that. And then towards the end, um, found a really cool opportunity with ClickUp. And it's kind of a, a similar position to when I started at Zoom Info, you know, it's kind of similar company size, similar momentum, similar, really competitive, like saturated market. And so I've been having fun with that as uh, their head of CI um, over there. Yeah. And so um, been really having a lot of fun with that. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into um, that role. I feel like there's kind of some fuzziness with like a competitive Intel specific role. And so happy to dive into any specifics there. Yeah, I found that super insightful. Thanks so much for giving us that overview of the really a transition from being a product marketer at a small-ish company. I wouldn't call 500 small, but yeah, smaller yeah, yeah. The, when compared to the 2,500 person company uh, Zoom Info became. So getting into that a little bit deeper, I know you touched on some of the changes you experienced in going through that company growth, were there any significant changes in the way that product marketing functioned at Zoom Info as the company grew from 500 to 2,500? Or was it pretty much status quo, just more people coming on and, and kind of sharing their product marketing load as the team grew? A constant change. Yeah. So uh, when I started, um, and again, so when I started, it was Discover Org. And the product marketing team, it was just a team of two. And we pretty much handled every single product launch. Um, and we actually rolled up to the product department. And so we like shared a team with like the product managers. And, uh, when the zoom info acquisition happened, product marketing transitioned under marketing. And so under like the CMO and that kind of shifted how we just worked with the organization. It was very much, you know, we were closer to like the demand gen side of things, the content side of things, and a little bit further from product. Um, which it, you know, when I look back, it made sense given like where the company was at because we had, you know, acquired a, a larger company as well. And we were kind of like merging these two really large brands. So we did really need to be closer to brand marketing and make sure everything kind of made sense, um, in all the work that we were creating. And so I think that that, you know, that made sense. And then, Again, we shifted back over to the product team from marketing. I want to say it was like a year before I left. And it it's funny too, because you always hear like these debates on like, oh, should product marketing roll up to, to product or should it roll up to marketing? And it really depends on like the stage of your company, because it made sense when we rolled up to product or excuse me, it made sense when we rolled up to marketing given like we needed to like reestablish ourselves as this new like Zoom Info brand. And then when we switched back over to product, it made sense as well, because we had to then reestablish kind of like, okay, we're trying to become like this go-to-market suite of different solutions. And right now people know us just for one thing, which is pretty much data. That was the thing that um, people, and a lot of people still associate Zoom Info with just data, um, but they're making a lot of really great strides with like becoming, you know, more of like a go-to-market suite of different, you know, tools, not just for sellers, but like marketers and recruiters and ops. And so it was really important. I thought that, you know, we also transition to the product side as well. And so that made a lot of sense. I really like that perspective and absolutely agree with you. The debate rages on about product marketing being part of product versus marketing. And I'm sure we could have a whole spinoff conversation about that topic specifically. So maybe I'll, I'll invite you back to dig into that a little bit deeper because I think you're the first product marketer or former product marketer, I should say, I've spoken to who did live life as a product marketer reporting to both 
and then going from product to marketing and then back to product. So yeah, definitely would uh, love to pick your brain on that a little bit more, uh, perhaps in a future episode. Yeah, let's do it anytime. Cool. So you talked about while you were a product marketer, owning a piece of, you know, the competitive intelligence responsibility set. And as you grew, you mentioned this was an area that you felt you could take some more ownership of and kind of evolve. Beyond that individual ownership piece, I'm curious, what was it about competitive intelligence that really drew you in and, and convinced you ultimately to make the leap from product marketing dedicated role to a competitive intelligence dedicated one? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, number one, I felt like I was just good at it. You know, I think that's a really important thing whenever you're making any kind of career move, you know, it's like, what are the things that you're good at and try to double down on those things. Um, there's a really great book by Cal Newport called so good. They can't ignore you. And I read that, but it was like one of those like kind of moments. So like, it's funny at the zoom info headquarters, there's a library like right across the street. And so every day for lunch, when we would, you know, when we still went into the office, uh, I would go across the street to the library and I would just like read a bunch of like business and like self-improvement books and stuff like that. And that was one of them. And, uh, I was like, oh, like competitive Intel could be like one of those things. Like, let's just try to like double down on it. And so, um, that's kind of like the precursor to like really like digging further into that. The other thing too, is I've just always really been a fan of, um, you know, those you may or may not, uh, or some of the listeners may or may not, but there's like this kind of underbelly of YouTube where they have like these like deep explainer or like analysis videos of like, it could be, it could be like literally any topic, you know, it could be like, um, you know, like I was watching like this one about like the internet culture of Garfield, you know? So like, just kind of, and then it was like an hour long video about like, what this, like the, this like random internet culture that I'd never heard of. And they were like explaining how it came to be all these different like conversation and like threads. It's so, I love that stuff. I love just kind of like not really knowing much about anything. And then all of a sudden seeing like, Oh my God, there's like all this stuff that's happening and like where it's going. And I felt like, you know, I mean, really, we have to kind of reach here now because, uh, but in either case, I felt like there's a little bit of that in competitive Intel. It's like taking these little tiny things that are happening within your landscape, kind of connecting the dots and seeing like, oh, that's like where this started to happen for this company. That's why they're going and they're doing X, Y, and Z things, why they're launching this product, why they renamed themselves to this. Oh, that's like why they redid their homepage. They're trying to appeal to this audience, those kinds of things. I just love kind of almost taking like educated guesses into what a company is trying to do or is going to do. And then also twisting that into like some sort of enablement for like, okay, like they're going to be doing this. They have a specific impact on our bottom line as a business. How can I take this and help our sales teams win? It's almost like taking different stories and creating a new story. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting mix of, of, uh, of different skills. And I haven't really found any other, any other role that's like that. And so that's why I've, I've really been enjoying it. I really like that idea of pulling at different threads and, and making a new story from things that you're seeing happening in the market that competitors are doing and the other stories that they're putting out. It's, mm -hmm. almost, like, it's almost like that meme that you see from Always Sunny where he's got that board of all yeah. the, the, the strings and the pictures and he's, he's kind of losing his mind. I feel like to a degree, um, a competitive intelligence expert has to have a little bit of that inside of them, that ability to, to pull out those threads and make those pieces connect. And that's something that I know early on in my product marketing career, 
having some ownership of competitive intelligence that I personally found really challenging at the beginning. Uh, and I think for someone who's considering maybe making the jump from product marketing into competitive intelligence, if that's a skill that you are really fascinated by or that you inherently possess, then absolutely to your point, that's probably something that you are in fact good at and that you should pursue further. Uh, and you know, you mentioned so good, they can't ignore you. I'm used to be one of the people who could really had a hard time getting into business books. I just found them so dry and so yeah. just, you can't ever connect to them, but that was actually the first business book that I ever read. And I can't remember what made me want to read it where I actually thought like, Hmm, I actually feel like I learned something from this and I could actually apply this to my career. So I say this because anybody who like themselves is like, yeah, I hear these people talking about reading business books and how it's helped them, but it's not for me. You just mm-hmm. got to find the book that really connects. And it sounds like for you, that was one of the books for me definitely was. So I can't recommend that book uh, enough as well. I think it's a great one. Yeah. And it's, it's funny too, because I don't get me wrong. Say I'm in the same boat and I picked up a ton of business books that I put down like after one chapter, like if, if you're struggling to get into business, but just, just understand that like there are good books and there's bad books, just like any other topic. And just because you pick up a book doesn't mean you have to finish it. Like that doesn't make you like lazy or a bad person. Like just save your time and like put it down. Um, I have like a full like bookshelf of books that I really do love and that I could see myself like rereading. Um, but just as easy that I could like share a handful of other books that like are well known that many people revere, but uh, they just didn't really resonate with me. And so, yeah, don't ever feel like you need to read a specific book or you have to understand it or anything like that. hundred percent. Can't agree more with you there. I want to go back to something that you said previously, and that's around this idea of, you know, identifying those things that the competitors are doing in the market and, and putting those stories together. And in making my own observations about what's happening within the competitive intelligence space, I do feel like I've seen a lot more product marketers like yourself included, make the jump to a dedicated competitive intelligence role. And I do feel like there's more and more firms creating these competitive intelligence type roles within their organizations to build out that competitive intelligence skill set and, and almost like a area of expertise that maybe didn't exist prior. I'm curious then, do you feel like that's a natural progression for product marketing? If that's an area that the product marketer is interested in? And if so, why do you think that's the case? And are there other backgrounds you feel someone could get into competitive intelligence from? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it depends on like, like the answer to most questions. It depends. Um, but I feel like it's probably easiest with product marketing because I feel like they're typically the ones who are owning a lighter version of competitive Intel. Um, but with that being said, I feel like competitive Intel is one of those functions that relies on a lot of other teams, right? So, um, I, I kind of have like the way that I kind of build out my competitive Intel function, especially it's like, since I'm a team of one, um, is that there's kind of like this competitive Intel flywheel that you need to consider when you're building out your program, which is like, you need to be teaming up with four teams specifically, like you need to have other teams that are in the loop as well, but like mostly it's really important to have four teams kind of like working with you. And that's the executive leadership team, the product team, uh, the customer advocacy and community team, and then obviously sales. And obviously the executive leadership team, they're overseeing everything. But like, with that being said, I feel like anyone from sales product or customer advocacy or community, you're, you're really tapped into a lot of different perspectives 
that could give you really good like opinions and uh, a really good like foundation to just taking on a more formal, like competitive Intel specific role. And if you don't come from any of those backgrounds, but you come from product marketing, then that's fine because you're going to be working with all those teams anyway to like build out your program. But yeah, with that being said, I don't think that you need to be starting as a product marketer in order to make it into a competitive Intel role. Because again, like you're in sales, like you're talking with customers and prospects like every day, like that's significantly more than product marketers do. And so, you know, like firsthand what people are saying about competitors, same with customer advocacy and community. Like you have that like real time feedback of like what customers are saying, what your community is saying, what they're up against, what they want. And then with product in a lot of cases, they're like obsessed with competitors too. And cause they want to build really efficient, like next level products that are better than competitors and what they offer. And so it's, you know, it's a little bit of like a different perspective going into it, but it's still super valuable. Like I wish that I had a better product lens sometimes, like when I'm going about my competitive Intel and obviously like you would have that if you came from a product background, you know what I mean? Definitely. And I really like the way that you structure the different teams that you partner with most closely as a competitive intelligence expert within your own org. And what I would say as well, just to build off on that is even in my own product marketing career and doing competitive Intel at you know, various companies at the side of my desk, as you were at uh, at one point in your own career, is that exposure to the executive leadership team. I think if you're in product marketing, and you really want to make a name for yourself. And again, be so good that they can't ignore you to bring that back up again is to try and do uh, and dip your toes into the competitive intelligence space. Because at every organization that I've worked at where competitive intelligence was worked on by a product marketer, that product marketer had a direct line to the most senior people in the organization. And just talk about getting your name out there and, and building your own awareness within your org and, and opening up some potential career opportunities. Um, I, I can't recommend that as, a, as another like strategic lever to pull, let's say, in your own career progression is, is expose yourself to that competitive intelligence uh, area of the biz because it can really benefit you in the long term for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the and just to give you a little bit of background on how that worked for me, like when I was still like just one of two product marketers at discover org it started like the first like official competitive intel ask i was given it was every month um i was sending out essentially it was like a a a list i was pulling a list of employees that uh employee growth from our competitors essentially and i was pulling it from like linkedin premium it was super kind of like you know you know it was just like really quickly like okay, how much have our competitors grown year over year, month by month? And that was, you know, cause that's a pretty good proxy for understanding like, okay, how well is a competitor actually doing? If they're hiring a ton, that usually means that they're doing pretty well. If they're not, eh, not so much. And so that was the ask. And that was from our CEO, like, Hey, just send me like these every single month. And that was like my one line I had, I was like, my title was associate product marketing manager. So like level one, essentially, you know what I mean? And, um, over the next, few years, you know, I just realized, okay, like this is the one area where if I I pretty much have like one shot every month to make a huge impact and get like seen. And so every month I would try to build on it a little, a little bit more. And like, I would add different, uh, like different sections to the newsletter. And sometimes they'd be things that like, they wouldn't ask for. Sometimes they would love it. And they'd be like, oh yeah, can you expand on this? And they would, you know, end up like sharing it with other people. And like, it was just one way of, like you said, kind of getting seen a bit more. And, um, and so, yeah, like that's why even still to this day, like newsletters 
are, even though they sound kind of old school, they're like one of my favorite ways of just kind of like maintaining visibility and awareness to competitive Intel and therefore like your own brand within the company. Yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on. I think to your point, a lot of people hear the word newsletter and they think, oh, email, like who checks email anymore? I know a lot of orgs, um, including the one that I'm currently at, are almost exclusively on Slack. So it's not necessarily about the format that matters. It's having that regular cadence and touch point, whether it's weekly, whether it's monthly. I worked at orgs where we did quarterly competitive reviews and real deep dives into what the competitive landscape looked like. But just having a schedule of, I'm going to be delivering this audience these competitive uh, insights on a regular basis is a great way to your point of like, you know, getting your name out there, but also being seen as a source of, of knowledge and someone that yep. others can go to for competitive insights. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't recommend that enough. If someone uh, as you know, as a product marketer just starting out or has been asked with building out a competitive intelligence program, I, I agree. Starting out the newsletter is, is the best and probably fastest way to value uh, that you can possibly pursue, especially if you're not, you know, given the resources to, partner with a dedicated competitive intelligence tool. Yeah, for sure. And that's the other thing too, I should mention. So like at zoom info, we like, I would build it out in MailChimp and I would send it out via email. And it was great. Cause I could see like, Oh, okay. Like our CEO viewed it like four times or whatever. And like, Oh, like this director viewed it this many times. So that was really cool. Um, but we don't really use email too much over at ClickUp. And so I literally just make ClickUp docs and I can format it just as easily as I would in MailChimp. And I just share it through Slack and I, like just the link because we have our own competitors dedicated Slack channel. And so I'll be like, hey, here is that time of the month. Like, here's the newsletter. Here's the top insights. Here's the link. Boom. And then like in the thread of that um, Slack, I'll like kind of tag like most of like the leadership folks who I want to make sure have their eyes on it. And then we'll have just the conversations there in the thread. And so it can work just as easily in that way. Yeah, it's a lot less complicated than I think a lot of people might think it is. So if you're yeah. again, on the fence, thinking about getting it started, just take the leap and it'll only get better as you keep trying it. So yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we talked a lot about your career and some of your experiences so far, and I wanted to touch on another topic that uh, I know is obviously very close to your own heart and what you're currently focused on. And that's uh, this digital course you're working on that's dedicated to product marketers who are starting their own competitive intelligence program for the first time, either their career or for the first time for the org. I'm curious what inspired you to, to build that course? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, for just for context, the course is called the competitive playbook. And it's essentially for anyone who, you know, you might be like a product marketer, like full stack product marketer, you might be a founder of a startup, or just in general, you might be a leader who's like wearing a lot of hats within an organization. Um, I just felt like there wasn't really many, there weren't too many resources out there that just gave you a good starting point. Like here, are like the, the five or six things that you can do to just get started, get some quick wins, get some like consistency going. And then you can like build off of that to really create your own competitive Intel program. Because in a lot of cases, um, I feel like it's not until a company has like really scaled before they start to like make budget for a, a designated competitive Intel person. I think ClickUp is relatively early, like earlier than more, like most I would consider out there, like that they would have somebody like me completely dedicated. I came in as like employee number 700 or something like that. And I think that that's even still like earlier than most companies. Most companies wait till like they're after employee a thousand, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be thinking about competitors before you hit that mark. 
You know what I mean? It's just, for some reason, we haven't gotten there yet in terms of just like how often we see a competitive employee. And so what I wanted to do was like, okay, I understand that a lot of companies don't have budget for like a designated competitive person, but that, you know, we should still be giving these full stack um, employees resources to create something that makes sense for their business. And so that's why I created the competitive playbook. It's essentially um, a list of uh, how I approach competitive Intel, how I approach it at Zoom Info, and then validated it like with ClickUp. Um, I'm pretty much used the playbook to start at ClickUp and I got started in like a month. You know what I mean? Like we were able to roll out some quick wins. We were able to roll out some new processes that are going to be, uh, that we're going to start seeing some other wins like, you know, in the next few months. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I really just wanted to make sure that these folks that are like wearing a lot of different hats, they had resources to where they could execute, you know, within the means of their own company, whether it's small, large, what have you. And so that's, that's kind of the reason why I built out the course. Yeah, super exciting. And I think it really points to the fact that there is a need for, to your point, people just starting out just with like, a quick, easy to understand, like what are the five to 10 things that I need to do at the very beginning to make sure that I'm going to be setting myself for a long-term success. So I can definitely see why you'd want to pursue a course dedicated to something exactly like that. Cause there's definitely a need uh, out there for it. And I know uh, Alex McDonald has done some great work with the PMA on their own competitive intelligence course. So I could definitely see if you're in the market for, you know, ramping up your competitive intelligence skills, not just the competitive playbook course that you're working on, um, but potentially complementing that with the PMA's course as well. And I think, we're lucky as product marketers right now, it, because the space has so much attention and so much activity, there's a wealth of courses being developed. And I'm very much the believer of the more knowledge that you can get from diverse perspectives, the better your toolkit and your understanding is ultimately going to be. So again, for anyone considering exploring options, obviously the PMA has a full suite of courses, but also these really dedicated and focused courses from individuals like Andrew and other experts in those very niche product marketing spaces um, are definitely worth worth exploring. And excited, I'm very excited to see yours once it comes live. I know you're, you said you're you're currently working on it, and it sounded like something's coming probably within the next a couple of weeks or, or month or so. Yeah, so I finished recording it um, this past weekend, and I sent it out to. I have a small beta group of you know some other like product marketers and and founders that I, I want to get their opinion on it first, and then maybe get a couple of tweaks in there. But then, yeah, the goal is to get it out early April, and so I'm really looking forward to getting it published. But yeah, to your point, like the, what I love about courses is that you know they're very specific to each individual person who. Um, is the course instructor. And so in my case, it's very specific to my work that I did with Zoom Info and the work that I'm doing at ClickUp. And Alex is one of those, um, is another one of those like thought leaders in the competitive Intel space who like, I'm sure the the content of his course is going to be super specific to, to how he's approached competitive Intel at, um, at Envision and at Airtable. And I, yeah, I, I just love that. Like, it's like, okay, I, I like what this person's saying. I like what this person's saying. Let me see like how they've approached things. It's just kind of like uh, different like autobiographies almost of these different employees and like what they've gone through, what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them, all that good stuff. Yeah, and not to go too far into a tangent, but I think we're very lucky again with the way that technology has enabled us to create courses like this and just access mm-hmm. them 
on demand. We're no longer having to commit to, let's say, a four-year undergraduate program or a master's program and say like, hey, I'm going to be focusing on this and only this for the next however many years. Much like with books, as we were saying earlier, you can pick a course, try it out, see if it's for you. Maybe you get a lot of learning out of it. Maybe you don't, but you can then go on and find another course. So Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I can't, I, as someone who's done a number of the PMA courses myself and other courses um, put together by independent creators and, and thought experts such as yourself, can't, can't recommend it enough. So, so yeah, we're, we're in the golden age of online learning, which is, which is awesome. yeah. Yeah. And it's something that I mentioned too, like in my course and in, I have like a little disclaimer in my, uh, it, cause I, I created it and I'm listing it on gum road and I say like, yeah, you know, like the goal of this is to give you a, you know, a handful of tools and strategies, um, to think about and implement if it makes sense for your business. Like I throw out probably over a dozen different things that you could do that you could use and you could implement. But then at the end of the day, like, is every single company going to implement every single one of those? Probably not. Like what you're going to need to do is take all of them, think critically about them. And you're probably going to end up having to talk to your manager about it and say like, Hey, this thing makes sense to me. We're going to have to dedicate some time and, you know, energy towards it though. Like, what do you think? And yeah, I just think that's, that's one of those key things to keep in mind. Just like when you're reading books, like, like you mentioned, there's going to be things that you really like, it really resonates with you and you can see how you can apply it. And there's things where you can go like, ah, that's cool that it worked for them. It won't work for my company though. (laughs) So I'm going to move on. Yeah. Absolutely. And to your point that you mentioned earlier, it also depends on how dedicated the individual is to competitive intelligence. This could be something that our product marketers are spending maybe 10% of their time, or maybe a yep. yourself who's that's their sole focus. So whatever they can implement is going to depend very heavily on just how much time they can uh, dedicate to it. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a great thing to consider as well. Yeah, for sure. So on the topic of your course, without giving too much away, I'm curious, what are some areas of the most common mistakes that maybe you've experienced yourself, um, if you're if you're willing to share, uh, or that you've seen other, you know, first-time competitive intelligence uh, program launch developers uh, make? And um, are there any tips you can recommend to maybe avoid those mistakes? Yeah, I think the biggest mistake that I ever made was it's still something that I, I I struggle with, but it's not. It's just not pressing publish. It's like waiting until like you think something is perfect before you, before you actually um, send it out to teams or before you present on it. If there's one thing that I've learned, and this might be just like a product marketing thing in general, it's just that like the, the stuff that we're working on, like people have opinions on it, you know, and we're not going to be able to always tap into those opinions, like just intuitively, like when, when we're creating battle cards or, or one pagers or what have you. And so like, what you need to do is like, probably get like 80, 90% of the way done and then hit publish. And if you, cause in a lot of cases, you know, we ask for feedback from a few folks, they might give us thumbs up or some comments on what they think. But at the end of the day, like, no, we're not going to get the full feel of the room or the temperature until like, really we present on it. And so I'm, I'm at that point, like where I, you know, when I was rolling stuff out at ClickUp, I was trying to get into the habit of just like publishing all the time. Like, here's a new battle card. Here's another new battle card. Here's another one pager. Here's how you can use it. Like, let's present it. Let's get in front of sales. And then like, hell yeah, I got some feedback and like people thought like, oh, this isn't uh, probably how we should best phrase this. 
uh, we should probably be looking at this thing over here. And that's totally fine to get that feedback because then it just like speeds up the process by which it becomes a really, really great, invaluable asset. And so just, I would just say, try to speed up the process with which you're delivering, you know, speed wins, you know, they say that all the time for like startups. It's true. I think for individual contributors as well, like when you're, when you have the power to publish, try to do it frequently and it, it'll increase visibility for you, but it'll also increase, you know, the quality of the material that you put out over time. So just keep that in mind. I'm so glad you suggested that. I literally, like, I felt that physically in my bones as you said, (laughs) I too am very much the same way. Uh, and have been throughout my entire professional career and academic career where it's like, Oh, I, you know, there's going to be people seeing this. I want it to be perfect. And I think getting comfortable with things, just being out there to get that feedback is a skill that for some, myself included, takes a long time to develop and it's something that I'm still actively working on. Um, but I think that's super powerful, uh, advice to take away from this is it might not be, maybe it's 80% of the way, maybe it's 60% of the way there, Mm -hmm. but just getting something out there does allow you to get that feedback, to take it to the next level, but also just shows that you're comfortable getting stuff out to help others get their job done and working collaboratively with them on improving and and making things better and making things more effective. Uh, As scary as that might sound. And Mm -hmm. even saying it, I'm like having a mini, mini, you know, panic attack. (laughs) Yes. I was like, oh, this isn't ready yet, but I know Uh. everything's soon. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's the other part of it too. Right. So like, uh, I guess it's kind of like a two part equation to feel comfortable publishing and then feel comfortable taking in the feedback and being willing to like flex on things that maybe like you don't hundred percent agree with, but like you trust, um, the team who you're delivering this asset to and why they're giving you this feedback. Um, cause at the end of the day, like I don't use the battle cards too often that I create, like the sellers do. They're the ones who are on a call, a customer or a prospect brings up some competitor, they bring up the battle card, something works for them or something doesn't work for them. And so I think sometimes product marketers or competitive Intel specialists, we kind of get in our head about like, oh, like feature comparisons. Like that's not like the way we should be like talking about the product or anything like that. But like, there are times where like your CRO is going to be asking you like, Hey, we need a feature comparison. Like the customer's asking for that. And like, what are you, are you going to tell them? No, like, no, that's not the best way of like, like, no, figure out a good way of making a good feature comparison. Make sure that you're ready. Like when that time comes. Yeah. So that that's the only other thing I'll say about that. I think that sometimes we can get in our own head in our own kind of like product marketing audience competitive Intel audience, like we're posting to like our friends on LinkedIn, but you know, when you're actually doing the work, it can, it can look a bit different. And so just be aware of that. A hundred percent. And I think this whole idea of getting in your head about certain things is spot on. I think for product marketers listening to this and, and again, like they themselves, uh, thinking, is this good enough? Is this going to actually do what I want it to do? Especially if they're very early in their career. I think it's important to recognize the fact that someone came to you at all in the first place with a request shows that there's that inherent trust and Mm -hmm. they see you as an expert within that area. So no matter what you're going to give them, they're probably going to look at it and be like, wow, this is better than what I would have been able to come up on my own. And even if it's not the best or the most insightful piece of competitive intelligence, for example, it's something that's going to help that individual do that job that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do themselves. So uh, don't let that, that fear as it were, stop you from, from hitting publish. As you said, I, I really like that. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the other thing too, is like, once you start getting more and more people coming to you, asking for different, you know, whether it's like pieces of advice on like how to handle a specific deal or, um, or for specific pieces of like collateral, like you can take that and then you can kind of see like, okay, these are the kinds of things that like this team is thinking about or that they're needing. And you can kind of intuitively start to like prioritize your own checklist of like things that you're going to deliver. And then again, like once that alignment happens and you're just delivering good stuff, that's like relevant every time, like that's just going to increase or um, just benefit that kind of teamwork mentality between you and the other departments. And so, yeah, that's, that's another thing that I've, I've, like I mentioned, you know, earlier, like how you need to be partnering with like sales, customer advocacy and community uh, product. Like that's how you increase that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not even increase, but just like how you make that relationship better over time. Absolutely. And I do want to just take a second. We, we talked about, I think earlier, you know, and I've talked about it with other guests on the, on this show, product marketing kind of having this moment over the past several years and really growing and expanding and becoming this role that a lot of companies are actively looking to hire for and are either building that function in-house or looking externally to bring that expertise inward. And it does feel like competitive intelligence is, is at the very early stages of that. Like you said, uh, you know, with ClickUp being very ahead of the game and bringing you on very early, a lot of companies traditionally bringing in competitive intelligence much later, if at all. So, and I, and I do feel like a lot of that is being driven by the, you know, prevalence of tools like Clue and Crayon and Compite, just to name a few. Uh, so it's obviously just a net benefit, I think, for the space and for people such as yourself and others looking to get into competitive intelligence just to make it, you know, bring that awareness to it. Um, but focusing more specifically on the tools themselves, do you recommend someone starting their first CI program or, or very early on in their career? investing in a tool like one of the three that I mentioned or any others that are out there? Or do you think at the beginning they can kind of get by without one and then build the case for it as time goes on? Yeah. So I think, you know, it can definitely speed things along. Um, just like most other tools. I don't know. Like that's one of those things. Like I, I don't think you need tools to get started, like laying the foundation of your program. I mean, in the very beginning, what you need to understand is like, who are your actual competitors? Like who are the ones that are actually, um, you know, taking revenue away from your business the most right now? Um, because you can get these tools and you can, um, you know, you can get insights on all these uh, competitors. You can start building collateral that helps defend or like attack these competitors. And that's all great. But if it's pointed at the wrong vendors, then it's kind of, it kind of defeats the purpose. And so in the very beginning, what I would probably try to do is just make sure that you narrow your scope to around eight to 10 competitors. Um, and you might be able to speed that along if you have access to like a call recording tool, like chorus or gong, and you can like actually hear like the conversations that are taking place between your sales team and customers and prospects. Um, and then from there, you can start to figure out like, okay, what is, what is it that like the sales team needs or that the product team needs? You can start building those relationships and then from there, once you figure out what it is that they need, then you can start looking at the tools and start figuring out like, okay, like I do need to start like 
consistently providing value in terms of like keeping uh, the company up to up to date on like what our competitors are up to in terms of like embedding battle cards into where our sellers are working, you know, like, so yes, absolutely. Like I use these tools too. Um, and they definitely help. They're invaluable for sure. Uh, when you're starting out your program, you know, you, it, it's cool if you have access to them, but if you don't have the budget quite yet, I don't think that just because you don't have the tool that should give you the excuse to not work on competitive Intel, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you kind of hit on something that I'll maybe just build on a little bit as well as the tools really only as good as the person who's holding it. So if your own competitive intelligence program, isn't at a stage where to your point, a, a tool is really going to benefit or help take it to the next level, then you're mm-hmm. probably not there yet. And, and having conversations with uh, representatives um, from the companies that build those tools at various stages in their career, I think they tend to agree with uh, that sentiment. You know, mm-hmm. I think they are very aware that their tools are fantastic, but they're for a very specific set of users and companies who are at a very specific stage in their own approach to competitive Intel. And mm-hmm. I've you know heard them on representatives from each of those companies at various podcasts, either on their own or guest podcasts, talk about, hey, you know, we will tell people that they're just not ready yet. And that's okay. And I think to your point, you kind of have to have that self-awareness and reflection that, yeah, it's cool to always have the shiny new tool and everybody likes to, to use the, the cool new thing, especially if they're not spending their own money to use it, if it's the company's money's, uh, <laughs> money responsibly anyway. Um, but you really have to, to take a step back and think like, what is this tool really going to help me do better that I can't already do today? Um, and what do I need to do to get to a point where the tool is actually going to add value? Um, the last thing you want to do is make a recommendation for a tool and then six, six months down the road, eight months down the road, you know, the representatives and your partners at that company have really tried to make things work, but just weren't ready and you're not showing yeah. the ROI. And then your whole program loses momentum and enthusiasm across the entire org. Yeah. I mean, I can still remember too, like when I first started at, um, at Zoom Info, again, it was Discover Org when I started, but like we didn't have any of those tools. Um, and I was pretty much just tracking like the employee growth of the competitors. And I was creating battle cards and essentially it was like a worse version of Canva. <laughs> so it was like, not, it wasn't ideal. We were hosting them and we, I think we had high spot at the time. Um, but yeah, like it wasn't ideal, but it was still like, we were, you know, we were figuring out who we were competing the most against and we hadn't acquired zoom info quite yet. Um, when that acquisition did go through, then it was like, okay, like we're going to like really like, this market's start going to get really competitive really quickly. And so, you know, we knew that we needed to like button up a lot of like our competitive processes. And yeah, when we onboarded our competitive Intel um, tool, like at the time, it like really sped things along. And so, um, yeah, I definitely, like you said, it's good to kind of have some self-awareness for like where you're at and like what you need to do before you start taking on um, these other kind of tools, which might honestly be a distraction um, if you don't know, like I said, who you're actually up against, why you're up against them, the problems that your sellers are facing, all those good things. Yeah. And actually you mentioned this earlier, and I think it's relevant to, to re-highlight here is you talked about when you're drawing out those insights and identifying that competitor behavior in market, if you can't really make a case for why people internally should care, why your own company should care, then why are you really sharing that? And the tools are going to be great to pull out of that information out. But if you're not at a stage where you can actually look at that and say, Hey, like we should care about this and here's why, 
mm-hmm. then you're probably not ready for the tool, right? So yeah. I, I think you have to be at least at that stage uh, to a degree um, before you really start exploring how you can augment those insights or, or at least that lens on those insights to, to get more of them and to spread them out more dynamically across the org. Yeah, 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 for sure. And there's a few different ways that you can kind of justify that. And I go over it a little bit in my course, but in the very beginning, you know, like there's, it depends on if you have access to like a call recording tool, but like, that's one way you can say like, Hey, listen, out of all of the calls that we, uh, that our sales team has had in this quarter, like 60% of them, like a competitor was mentioned. That's one way, right? Another way, if you don't have like a call recording tool, you can just Um, you could survey your sales team, like just create a Google form survey and just be like, Hey, like how often are you running into competitor X, Y, and Z? And just, again, like once you get that feedback, you can have like a pretty good understanding of like, okay, like how competitive is this, is our landscape right now? Is it something that we should be like investing in? Um, and that, yeah, like, cause again, if you're going to be investing like 10 to 20, 30 K into one of these tools, like you need to have some like metrics, to like back up like the spend to some of your uh, executive teams and stuff, just something to keep in mind. Totally. Yeah. I was just going to say, especially when you're going to ultimately be sharing those insights with members of the exec team, they're going to want to see what the ROI looks like. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you're not able to do that, um, you can at least to your earlier point about just hitting publish on things, show them some things, whether it's, you know, looking at the call recording tool and seeing what percentage of calls contain a competitive mention, surveying your sales team, like even something as quick and dirty as that might be enough for you to then say, Hey, you know, it isn't perfect data. It's not totally like hundred percent quantifiable uh, in mm-hmm. the way that these might expect, but it's something. And this is what we can start to explore to start making the case and start having those discovery calls with some of those tool providers to see if it's, or if it's a good fit. So I couldn't agree with you more there. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Andrew, we're, we're almost at time here. And I feel like, again, I could keep talking about competitive in- Intel for, for hours as someone myself uh, through my product marketing career has done competitive in- Intel off the side of their desk, as I'm sure many other product marketers have, um, you know, it's an area that I find truly fascinating, but I do have to let you go. But before I do that, I'm going to ask you my final question, which is one I ask all my guests, but I'm going to make a minor tweak to it, given your current role at uh, ClickUp. And that's if you could be in competitive Intel at a company anywhere in the world for any product service that they offer, what would you choose and why? Okay. Well, I'd pick ClickUp because ClickUp's in a really saturated space and I feel like it's a great place to, to make a big impact. And so I'm already kind of in my dream role. If I couldn't pick ClickUp, because I'm sure that that's kind of what you were getting at. So if I couldn't pick ClickUp, then I'd probably pick HubSpot. And the reason that I'd pick HubSpot is because I feel like um, number one, like they, they're doing like a lot of different things. And so there's an opportunity to like do competitive for, you know, their marketing automation side or their CRM side. And like on the marketing automation side, you know, I'm sure they're crushing it and it's always fun to be in like kind of a leadership position. Um, and so like, there's that angle, but also like with the CRM angle, like they're, they're going after Salesforce, like they're, they're going after and they're, and they're being, being pretty vocal about it. Like if you're on like LinkedIn and like their CTO, um, like, like we'll openly talk about like how, yeah, like we're going after Salesforce and you know, that's such a big undertaking. And I feel like they're the only company where I don't like roll my eyes at such a statement. Like they have done so well. And I feel like they really have a good path to potentially take them on in the CRM space. 
And I, that would just be really cool to be a part of. It's like, okay, we're going to go like after like the behemoth in the space, like let's go for it. So like, I don't know, in competitive Intel, you know, naturally the people who are in those roles are probably pretty competitive themselves. And so just being on kind of like a, a team that is shooting for the stars, so to speak, like that, that really resonates with me. Yeah, definitely a challenge to say the least. So I'm not surprised you made that selection. And I'm also not surprised you, you know, obviously said that you're already in a good spot at ClickUp just because in looking at ClickUp, you, you know, you and your team and the solution offers a solution to so many problems and does so many, you know, things very well that I can imagine your competitive landscape is just like massive and constantly evolving because you cover so many different solution spaces that uh, infringe on other solutions out there. So yeah, I can imagine the inherent challenge of, of the role that you're already in and why that excites you as someone who's already so passionate about competitive intelligence. Yeah. If you go to, uh, like I use G2 all the time. Um, but if you go like to the project management grid, it's just chaos in the grid. Like there are so many different logos. And so, yeah, it's a fun space to be. I think that that's one of the, like, that's what makes competitive Intel fun. It's finding the ones who actually matter, trying to figure out like how you beat that. It's very, it's a very strategic role for sure. And um, so project management, it's definitely one of those more like saturated markets where you have in order to win, like you have to be different. You have to be unique. You have to be like positioned very, very well in order to actually stand out because yeah, to your point, there's so many other tools out there. Like why should people pick you? And so, um, so yeah, if anybody wants a good laugh at like just absolute chaos, look up the project management grid, uh, on G2, it, it always gives me a chuckle. <laughs> That's too good. Awesome. Well, I'll let you go, Andrew. This has been great. You know, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. As I said earlier, uh, before I let you go though, if any of the listeners want to get in touch with you, obviously keep up to date with what you're doing with your course, the competitive playbook, where can they do that? Yeah. So uh, just go competitiveplaybook.com and just give me your email address and then uh, I'll notify you when it's published. Um, Or if you don't want to give me your email address, that's totally fine. Just follow me on LinkedIn. I post just about every day anyway about like competitive Intel tips and tricks. And I will for sure be posting when uh, the playbook is um, public. And the first couple of weeks, I'll probably do some sort of like discount or something like that. And so keep your eyes peeled. It'll be fun. And if you, if you, uh, the other thing I will mention too, is, um, I have a public swipe file of just like all of my favorite, um, competitive plays and, you know, ads and stuff like that. And so if that interests you, just go to competitive snacks.com. Um, again, it's just kind of a fun little look if you need inspiration for your next competitive play. Yeah. And I, and I hope I don't uh, make your head too big by saying this, but as someone who is pretty active on LinkedIn myself, or at least visits LinkedIn frequently, I wouldn't call myself too active on it. Um, I, I do find that you're one of the few thought leaders um, to, to use the buzzword as, as it were uh, in the committee of intelligence space that actually provides like practical and, and tactical updates uh, on a regular basis. So I appreciate that. I have checked out the competitive snacks. I can't agree more. If you're someone who's interested in how companies compete against one another and how they're doing that in some pretty interesting ways, can't recommend checking that out uh, enough and, and definitely give Andrew a follow on LinkedIn. Cause again, he's one of the few that when he does post, it's actually helpful information and not just business and marketing fluff as you often find on LinkedIn. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. This was really fun to chat. Likewise, it was great having you. And I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Take care, Andrew. Cool. See ya. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, 
Here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.